Hey, hey, hey. Happy, happy weekend. This is another week's episode of Aid Station X-Rays with Valerie and Chris. Chris, what's happening? How you doing? Oh, not bad. It's yeah. uh, been a rainy week here in New England. I'm not a big fan of it. Hey, you rain, know, rain makes corn, been... corn makes whiskey. Oh, that, that, I like where you're going with that. <laughs> well, like this summer's been really strange. Like last year, once it got hot... It was like, last year was my first year up here, and it was like surface of the sun hot every day until like September. Like we set a record for uh, a rainless streak and 90 degree days, and this this year, like mid-80s, maybe rains every other day. It must be uh, the Pacific Northeast or something. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Hey, it just want, the universe just wanted to make sure you were getting uh, multiple types of training in. That's all. Well, thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, of course. Well, How is see, your week? You know, listen, I, I um, I, I did a trail a trail race last Saturday. What was that last Saturday? Um, that you know, you and Shane Boyd and everyone kind of encouraged me to go give a give a whirl, and it was a blast. It was one of the coolest things I've done I love being in the woods so I had a feeling I would really enjoy it and I kind of felt like those memes that you see online where people talk about you know like mile one feeling great mile two still feeling good mile three ready to die mile four I hate this mile five back to life (laughs) um and it was it was kind of like that I had um I had some coca-cola and some m&ms at the aid station at mile four and I felt like I could fly after that for an hour so talking nutrition today because i thought that was kind of a cool aspect and you're always talking about the food you get out on on the trails when you're doing trail races so that was cool and then i you know even though that was a heavy load on my body i still went and did my 14 mile long run on sunday so um i was really tired by by sunday night and uh but i hydrated well i ate so I didn't fully die. I just, you know, was like mentally exhausted. <laughs> and I'll, I'll take. I really thought that I'd be the kind of person who'd do that and then turn around and run seven miles a day and feel good about it. But kind of raced me at the track last night, and me and Shantae smoked him. So you know, don't don't mess with the best. No, I'm just kidding. It's all coming together now. I guess so. I never thought that a seven-mile easy run would feel easy, but it certainly did. And I know that really what I'm putting in my mouth that matters, that's that's definitely making a big difference here. But that being said, I'm super excited today's guest. Lauren, um, we are so happy to have you here. We are so happy to talk all things nutrition. Um Let's get started on on your background. You were not always really Christian realm of of things, correct? You were originally you're, you're like a scientist, yes? Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm so you know, anytime I get the opportunity to talk about running and nutrition, I'm in totally. It's <laughs> it's what I love. Um, but yeah, I actually. You know, I came to both running and, you know, the nutrition profession as an adult, um, kind of later in my life. I started running in my 30s um, and doing personal training, and it really morphed by the end of my 30s into uh, a nutrition-centric kind of coaching um, that I'm doing now. Okay. But, I mean, like, your background, though, was was mostly... Like, like you, you were, you are a biochemist. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm trained as a biochemist. Um, and I, I worked more in the medical research side. So I did a lot of, um, like biomedical molecular biology, biochemistry, genetics. I was a, you know, research scientist for a while and a professor. Um, I just, I love biochemistry. I love the human body and, and how it functions. It's so, um, it's just like this big puzzle to me and I love it. Uh, and so, yeah, yeah, I started out my adult life as a scientist um, and that kind of morphed into teaching and now I'm a coach. Uh, yeah, I just, I still, you know, I'm a biochemist at heart, a research scientist at heart, even though I'm not in the lab. Uh, but yeah, that, that's how things kind of started. 
Well, and then I guess it would make sense with that background, you know, you love the human body and how that all works together to translate that into what you do now. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it was so funny because when I was, you know, out of graduate school and, and being a research scientist at a medical university, I was having some health issues um, and I was trying to solve my own puzzles and, you know, having kind of that background was really helpful but it really wasn't later until I started putting all the pieces together of, you know, what makes a healthy metabolism. And then I started running and it's like, okay, how do you, you know, fuel your body to do this sport that we love so much? Um, so, yeah, I feel like over the last decade, really, like all the pieces have come together. It started with, you know, being a biochemist in my own health struggles um, and it just kind of snowballed into this, I want to learn everything I can <laughs> about, you know, running and the nutrition that goes along with it. Right. So let's take molecular biology and, and genetics and let's, <laughs> let's work on how that all goes into the, the human body with fuel. You know, yeah, love, absolutely. I think that that's super cool. But now when we say that you're a runner, you're not just a runner. Like, and I shouldn't say anybody is not just a runner because anybody who gets up and moves is, is a runner, but you don't just go and run road races and some five and 10 Ks here and there. You are an ultra marathoner. You are an ultra runner. Yes. Yes, I am. That is my love language. <laughs> Which is a whole other level of being unlocked of a runner. I, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> as, as, I, as I'm very quickly seeing with my little, you know, snippet preview seven mile race this yeah. past Saturday. This is a whole other ball game you're playing here. Like, even in like the T-ball league. Now, <laughs> you guys are playing in some some major leagues, and I have the utmost respect for that. So, when when you when you originally decided that you were going to start running, did you know that you wanted to run trails and and do ultras, or were you just, hey, I'm going to get up and be healthier, and I just want to run a little bit more? How did that start for you? So funny enough, um, I started, I was already two kids in and it did start kind of that, you know, way that it starts for a lot of women. Um, dang, I've gotten out of shape. I'm unhealthy and I need kind of an outlet. Um, now I was always an outdoorsy girl. I loved hiking and backpacking and being outside. But when the kind of running bug bit me, it, I just was like, I'm going to run a 5k. That was my first goal. I'm like, I'm going to you know, get up and start running. I was never a runner before. I was like, you know, in my thirties and, uh, I, I was like, I'm going to train for a 5k and I did. Um, and so I ran a few, you know, like road races. Um, and then it dawned on me actually like, Hey, Lauren, you know, if you like this running thing, you can actually do it on the trail. Like it just kind of didn't even dawn on me till after I'd started running. Um, so I, I signed up kind of like, like you did at my first, uh, trail race was at a state park. It was an eight mile trail race and I was totally unprepared for it, went to it, but loved it so much, like totally fell in love. Um, and then, you know, it just, it's kind of like, you know, how the 5k is the gateway drug. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like that you holiday know? 5k, the turkey trot, the fire. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so I just, I fell in love with it and I was like, well, I'll never do like anything crazy, like a marathon, you know? So I spent some time, you know, just running shorter stuff. I ended up getting pregnant, having another kid. Um, and after that, I was like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to sign up for a 50 K. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not really sure why that just became something I thought I should try. Uh, and so I signed up for my first 50K. It was a mountain 50K. I was totally unprepared for It's This was kind of a theme for me. Uh, <laughs> I feel like that tends to be a theme for a lot of us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. It just sounded great. I knew I loved to be on the trail. I signed up and I did it. You know, I did it. It was really hard. Uh, but yeah, I, I was totally smitten with trail running by that point. Um, and I, I had said I would never do anything like crazy, like a marathon. And here I am, you know, like, okay, I'll just sign up for 50 K. And of course, from there, you know, it only got worse and worse. And I'm like, well, maybe I should do a 50 miler. And, you know, then it becomes, well, if I can do 50, maybe I should do a hundred, you know? <laughs> um, so yeah, that's kind of, kind of how it evolved over the last seven years or so. 
And and you don't just, you know, run these and, and kind of like me, I, I don't want to not to ever diminish anyone who runs, but I run races with no, I don't want to say with no pace in mind, because my pace is my pace forward is my pace, but I'm not there to, to win or to place. I just really enjoy the environment. I enjoy the process of getting there and of finishing, but you demolish a lot of these, like you are eating these races for lunch. Well, and you know, it's so, it still feels funny to me because this has only been about the last year that I have started kind of moving away from the back of the pack to more of the mid and front, which is something I never expect. I mean, I'm 42 now. I, you know, I, I started it, same deal. Like I love the trail. I love the community. I love being out there. And I was always chasing cutoffs back of the packer. I, you know, I was there. The yeah, I, I just had kind of a mental flip after some life experiences. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to change some things I do, like with training and nutrition. And I'm telling you, I don't know. Things have just clicked. <laughs> and, you know, it probably helps that the last few races I've run have been pretty small, you know. Um, and so, yeah, this last year has taken me by surprise. Um, I have podiumed races and I've never, ever done that previous to this year like uh, that I would have laughed in anyone's face who had told me you know I would someday podium a race um so yeah it's been an interesting and fun experience but yeah I mean overall my the reason I'm out there day after day and doing these things is because I just love it so much and even if I finished you know dead last I would still be so happy you know it really doesn't change kind of like what you're talking about that joy you feel when you're out there Right. Well, so when you talk about things that, can you give us an idea what some of the things that you have, the bigger things, I guess we could say, or maybe they are only little things that you've changed, but it's enough little things that make it big in the last year. Sure. So, you know, I I had been kind of deep into fitness. I love strength training and I did a lot of personal training over the last, you know, decade. And it really wasn't until I started you know, nerd alert. I love science. And it wasn't until I leaned in and really dug in to the science of, okay, how do you train for an ultra marathon? Like what is, what, how is my body functioning and how do I need to train to actually, you know, do well at these races? And, you know, that wasn't really for a personal reason. It was more of because I wanted to move into run coaching um, and so, you know, kind of when you start something new, I was the, the guinea pig, you know, trying things out on myself. And so I'm like, okay, you know, can I coach other runners? Like if I'm back at the pack and like, what can I offer? And so I, I really coached myself, you know, in the beginning, I've only been um, coaching ultra runners for a little over a year now. Um, and, and really it all started with me kind of taking a deeper dive into, okay, what does my body need? What does a human body need to be able to do these endurance events? Um, and around the same time or shortly after, I really started looking way deeper into the nutrition aspect. Um, I am a person with polycystic ovarian syndrome. I'm sure a lot of women have heard of that. Right. There's a lot of women out there with that. Um, and so, you know, nutrition and trying to figure that puzzle out just separate from running has always been difficult. But I thought, you know, how do I put everything together? How to train for running, how to overhaul my nutrition and put it all together. And, and just really quick time me... out. I'm going I'm to interrupt you mm-hmm. real quick. Yeah. Sorry. Just for anyone out of Chris, I don't know if you know really what, what PCOS is, but it's like an end. So there are like cysts that form on the ovaries. And anytime, of course, females have anything that's going on with their ovaries, let's talk hormones, hormones, hormones. Mm-hmm. And it can just throw everything in your body. Your your nervous system can just kind of go awry. And there's not always a ton that you can do. If, if you have it, you have it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And one of the hallmarks is that you don't process carbohydrates effectively. And so a lot of people, you know, if you have PCOS, you're at very high risk of developing type 2 diabetes. Um, You know, when I was pregnant, I had gestational diabetes, which was a whole ordeal. Um, And I've always had blood sugar issues, which, again, you know, kind of that nutrition piece was really important in getting 
like you said, it doesn't ever go away, but managing it. Um, and, and so there was this kind of year that was like an awakening, like, oh, I can apply my science to, you know, how do you train and how do we do nutrition? And in all of that kind of year of enlightenment and trying things on myself, I came across um, Bob Sibahor, who is a sports dietitian. He's, he's kind of one of the big guys in, you know, he coaches Olympic athletes and, and teams. And he has a whole philosophy regarding nutrition called metabolic efficiency. And, uh, you know, not to kind of go into all the nitty gritty scientific details, but it's a way that um, can help balance hormones, balance insulin and blood sugar issues. But it turns out it's actually really good for endurance athletes as well. When you run a long time, you have to use both carbohydrates and fats. That's what powers your body, uh, especially when you're talking endurance. And so being able to, um, to be able to utilize those fuels really well while you're running a lot of that falls back onto what you're eating every day, not just while you're running. And so that discovery of metabolic efficiency, and I, I actually worked under Dr. Bob Sibahor and did his certification for metabolic efficiency. Um, it was life-changing, you know? I don't say that about a lot of things, but, you know, like learning the science of training for endurance and learning the science of this, you know, how to eat to optimize your metabolism they were life-changing for me and I applied it all and I thought, well, maybe this is a fluke. Like it's working for me. Does it work for other people? I don't know. So when I started coaching and I was like, let's just see, you know, um, and I kind of did a focus of women in my situation, similar situations, women over 40 who were maybe dealing with perimenopause and menopause, which has symptoms that overlap with PCOS. Um, and so it turned out that, yeah, this, this works. Um, and, and clients started having great success. And so it was just kind of this big year of, aha, like, I don't have it all figured out. I don't know all the answers, but I think I'm putting the pieces of this puzzle together and it's working. Um, and so that's kind of where I'm at now, you know, not perfect, not everything works the way I wish it would sometimes. Um, but yeah, this, this last couple of years have been really interesting and fun. Um, and just, yeah, just kind of, you know, you stand back sometimes and you're like, Oh, I get it now. Like this makes sense and I feel good and things are working. Um, but yeah, it was a long road to get there. You know, well, I'm still looking for like most of my puzzle pieces. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, Those things are scattered everywhere. <laughs> that that's exactly how I felt, and sometimes I still feel that way. But yeah, it's um definitely. You know, I will tell you guys when I first started running. I remember running my first half marathon. It was a road. It was before I'd made the switch to trail. And I mean, I didn't even think about fueling or drinking. Like I don't think I drank water the whole time I ran. I might've eaten like a handful of jelly beans somebody gave me. Like, I just was like, oh, you just get up and you run. And why am I so tired? Why is this so hard? You know, I mean, I was like, even me being the scientist who understands how the body works. I just, you know, I didn't really think about it. And and I couldn't figure out like, why is this so hard? Um, And so it, it really took a long time to kind of, you know, even when I was running ultras, so several years ago, before the big aha, I um, I almost gave up on ultra running. I was really struggling. I was, you know, late 30s, about to hit 40. Um, things weren't working anymore. I was running these distances and, you know, my blood sugar was crashing. I felt awful after my runs. I just, like, couldn't pull myself together. Um, and that's really what instigated all of this kind of revolution of how I, I view training and nutrition is because I just felt like crap all the time. And, you know, I was like, it's not supposed to be this way. Um, and so, yeah, it just, it was a long road to get where I am today, for sure. It sounds like a good road. It's, it's oh, taken, yeah, has taken been. a great path. <laughs> It's, it's yeah, and you know, that's what I tell people. 
Yeah, it's like I made all the mistakes, like all of them. You know, I've been the one throwing up at the end of the race. I've been the one dehydrated, <laughs> you know, and in the ER. Like, don't do what I do. Like, like I'm here to, like, prevent other people from doing all the wrong things because I did them, you know? <laughs> well, um, and so, yeah. Well, so kind of funny that you, you mentioned about like being dehydrated. I, I did have a question that came from one of our listeners and they sure. wanted to know if you find water or electrolytes more helpful when racing. Now, mind you, most of the athletes, we handful of trail athletes. And I'm hoping that we will grow more um, friends yeah. because Chris is always yeah. about encouraging people to come to the dark side <laughs> as you know, here we go point blank. Yeah. But um, so a lot of our athletes are, triathletes but so i don't know if there's a difference or not but they wanted to know if you find water or electrolytes more helpful in racing yeah so no matter what your sport is you know it there's many factors that go into how do i hydrate and i will say that there is mixed science on this you know you'll hear all kinds of chains of thought about how much electrolytes but the good rule of thumb is you know when you sweat no matter your sport if you're doing a short race a long race road or trail when you sweat, you're not just losing water. You are losing electrolytes. Your body's pretty resilient. You know, you can go a good hour, hour and a half of sweating and just replacing with water, and you're fine. Your body's going to pull electrolytes from some organs. It's going to get to, you know, back to that balance in your body. You're going to finish your run. You're going to eat some foods that will have salt in it. Um, and so, you know, for short distances... That, you know, let's say it's not a heat wave, so we're not, you know, in Death Valley, we're not in 105 degrees, you know, at some temperature that's not too insane for an hour of sweating, you're good. You know, water is just fine. Anything beyond that, usually that's what I tell my athletes. If you're going out beyond an hour, it's not winter time. <laughs> you're going to go longer than an hour, maybe longer than two hours. That's when we want to start thinking about adding electrolytes. Um, I always do water only for the first hour, and then I start adding in electrolytes. And so that's the part that gets tricky, because then that opens a whole new can of worms. Like, okay, how much electrolytes and what form? There, I mean, if you're a runner and you've gone you know, to the running store or whatever sport you do, you'll know that there are tons and tons of electrolyte options. Right. There's salt <laughs> pills. <laughs> there's stuff that dissolves in your water. There's you know, there's a whole array and they're all different in their amounts and all of that. So and to complicate things further, everyone is very unique on how much of those salts they lose when they sweat. So I use the term heavy salt sweater and low salt sweater because some people, and I don't know, you guys can tell me after, let's say it's a summer run and you go out for an hour or two and you run and you get back home and so you might see that salt on your shirt or you might like feel the salt on your skin. Like, on oh your yeah. Face. Yeah. So All you're a heavy salt. Yeah. Heavy salt. Yeah. So you're a heavy salt sweater. And you, you know, it's not, that obviously is not a very good analytical way to judge it, but it's true, you know? And so like, I'll give you the opposite. I'm a low salt sweater. And so like, I don't get the salt residue. And so it's, it's really important because I used to use the general guidelines. They're like, you must take 500 milligrams of salt every hour that you run. Well, if I do that, I'll be on the side of the trail pooping every five minutes. <laughs> because too much salt, too many electrolytes, they're laxative, right? Okay. You're going to run out of socks. That's right. That's right. I mean, I could tell you stories. It's so bad. And so, you the know. Salt, the sock is a real thing. I know. Yeah. It's so, oh, man. The stories I could tell. Yeah. And so, you know, I would follow that general advice. Like, oh, you must replace this much. Well, it turns out I don't need that much. And how would I know that? Well, you don't really know until you start experimenting, unfortunately. Um, so, yeah, the good rule of thumb is anything over an hour, let's start adding electrolytes. That can be through food. Maybe you've got some salty, you know, I don't know, crackers with you or something. Right. That's totally fine. You know, if you're... What about beef jerky? 
Yeah, if it's got, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's probably full of like sodium, you know, which for running is perfect. Uh, yeah, it gives you a little protein too. <laughs> right, I want to like have acid reflux for the next two oh, hours of my life. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, it might not sit so well. But yeah, so salty foods. If you're a high salt sweater and it's really hot and you're running a marathon, okay, we're going to get on a schedule of let's find out how many electrolytes you need per hour. I will tell you that, you know, mine ranges anywhere from 100 to 200 milligrams per hour. I know people that go way above that. And that's okay. So it really is, that's where you're like an experiment of one. And we're going to figure out, okay, first of all, how much volume of water do I need? And then I've got to add electrolytes after the first hour. So it's a little, you know, it's a little bit of trial and error. Um, we There's some guidelines where you can start. But yeah. I'm a fan of electrolytes over an hour. Even if you feel like you don't need them, you'll most likely feel better. You know, if you get headaches after your run or you just feel completely exhausted, um, it could be that, you, you know, fuel, you need more fuel. But a lot of times it's electrolytes. People skimp on electrolytes um, and they're important. Yeah. So totally a fan, especially in hot weather. I mean, this summer has been brutal for a lot of people. Uh, I'm in the south, you know, southeast, so it's hot. A lot of the year. <laughs> um, <laughs> winter, I don't worry as much about electrolytes. You still are losing them, but you can get away with a lot less because you are producing a lot less sweat and therefore you're losing a lot less electrolytes. Um, so it's a game of balance. It really is. It's kind of like, you remember whenever you were in college, you know, making drinks? It, it's kind of like that. Maybe, yeah. Maybe, a little they will pour a little bit of this one. That's right. Yeah. And, and so that... On the flip side, it's kind of the good news. Like nobody can dial in their hydration perfectly because your sweat rate is going to change depending on the humidity, the temperature, the amount of salt you lose could fluctuate depending, you know, year to year. It's always going to be kind of changing and evolving and you're never going to get it exactly right. We just want to get close, you know, and so that does give you some leeway um, in being like, you know, okay, let's try this little bit of salt. You know, the last hour I ate, I drank some pickle juice and had beef jerky. I'm good. I'm not going to take any electrolytes for an hour. Yeah, you're probably fine. You know, uh, there's other research where people are like, no, you know, people are using too many electrolytes and they don't need any when they run. And then there's research to point to the opposite of that. And so I think the truth lies somewhere in between. And it really is hydration and electrolytes is you have to practice. You kind of have to just go in, have fun with it and practice. Well, that's because I know that my just for myself personally, and again, I think this is a perfect example of how different we all are. I have a lot of friends who like to use salt tabs, like the little, yeah. little salt tabs. And so I ordered some from the feed and I was super excited and I got them and I took some during the Pittsburgh half marathon and it wasn't a super hot day and I was pretty well hydrated, hydrating during that race. Uh, and it, it worked out just fine for me, but I have found the more that summer is going on when I've taken them during my runs, it flips my stomach up upside yeah. down yeah I feel like I am clenching my butt cheeks together yeah. running yes. off that trail so mm. I don't yeah. know maybe I'm just not taking in enough fluids when I'm taking them but I have started to kind of err on the side of caution and not taking those salt shoes because it's just yeah. that's not it's not as an ideal option for me so I'm going with more of like the dissolvable or just taking Gatorade or yeah you know, something else with me that's that's gonna work a little bit better on my stomachs for like, sure. And I've, I've had that experience as well. I do like the salt taps, but I have found that it's easy. Like when they hit your stomach all at once, I think might be the problem because I have found that as well. And, and so that's one thing I will point out is in regards to hydration, probably, and, and this is true the longer you're running, but it's, it's good advice for any runner. Um, your stomach, can, it empties liquids about every 15 to 20 minutes while you're running because you're, you're busy, you've got blood flow going to your legs, to your arms, you know, things are moving and working. And so your stomach is also working hard because you're putting stuff in it, um, but it can only handle so much. So it's emptying, you know, every 15 to 20 minutes. So if you are cramming a bunch of, of salt and liquid at one time in your stomach, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have a really hard time. And so the tip I give people is, Take some sips every 15 minutes, right? Like, you know, sip over the hour. 
15 minutes, take some sips. You know, don't do the chugging, don't, especially with electrolytes. The same thing with the salt tabs. That is so true. It can hurt your stomach because especially if you're not low on electrolytes and then you, you take a tablet and it hits your stomach all at once, your body's like, oh, evacuate, you know, <laughs> too much <laughs> electrolytes. Um, and so it's, it's always good to kind of sip every 15 to 20 minutes. So you're like, what you said is perfect. Like you have the dissolvable electrolytes. So, you know, you're just kind of sipping on those and your body's redistributing those electrolytes every 15, 20 minutes. And most likely you're not going to get like your stomach cramped up and have to go find a tree right on trail. Um, so, so yeah, so hydration is a little finicky. And so probably, you know, for people who have issues with hydration and electrolytes, start sipping, do sips every 15 minutes, see if that helps. Um, that is probably one of the biggest things I see is, is people will wait, like maybe they'll go a whole 30 minutes, an hour, and then they'll chug a whole bottle, you know, something that's really hard on your stomach. That's setting you up for GI issues for sure. Which makes sense. And I would like to avoid all the GI issues I can during. America, yes. So. Yes. You know, and that really, I feel like for a lot of people, myself included, um, GI issues are kind of the limiting factor for running these long races, being on trail, if you're climbing up and down, that really can wreck your day. And so I work, you know, when I do nutrition with clients who are runners, a lot of our effort is how do we fuel in a way to avoid GI distress? Because we've all been there and nothing can ruin your day faster. Um, and so there's, yeah, there's lots of things. The good news is if you have a lot of GI distress, there are lots of things we can try to help alleviate that. Some people are more sensitive than others, but for the most part, there's usually solutions that can be found. I found out that like, I don't know, actually like a pre long run or pre race, like it has to be like the bland is boring. <laughs> like I will yeah. not be adventurous that's that right <laughs> yeah yeah that is so true that's such a good point and I you know again learning from mistakes early on made those mistakes um yeah it's so true and you know I have my my athletes I have them lower their fiber I actually have you know they are very sensitive to GI issues on race day we track fiber and we reduce it over the week leading up to the race, not to a point where they're not, you know, they're going to mess up their body, but to a point where we're taking away any risk factors <laughs> for GI distress <laughs> on race day. And yeah, the bland foods, familiar foods, low in fiber. Yeah. That's, that's what we're going for before a big race. Well, like how long, I guess that, that was one of my questions. Like I got, I understand like, lifestyle changes have been made i've made them we've all made them to to get to the point where we are now yeah but just looking at like okay say you have this race coming up two weeks away like how far in advance would you start like loading things or loading electrolytes or like yeah yeah that's a good question. And again, it this is one where it can vary depending on the person. I will say the research is pretty clear that carb loading for men is pretty beneficial. For women, not as much. God I still, damn. yeah, what? I still have my females carb load. <laughs> I still carb load, but the research is pretty clear, the new research coming out, that females just don't store carbohydrates the same way as men. Because what? of our hormones and the way that we're set up for reproduction. And we, we, we are really good at storing fat, obviously, um, because we, you know, biologically growing another human takes fat storage and, and kind of processing carbohydrates a little differently. So the research is pretty clear that women do not benefit from carb loading the same as men do. So that's that kind is of some bullshit. Uh, right, right. <laughs> However, the good news is that women tend to um, be able to utilize fats better while running long distances, oh, which perfect. is why you kind of see, I think, some of these women really overtaking men in these 200-mile distances and things like that. Um, but yeah, and so there is there are slight differences between male and female. Also, okay, for example, I have... PCOS. So if I carb loaded like a typical athlete, my blood sugar would be so whacked that come race day, I would feel awful. 
Ooh. So it's, it's, you know, depending on the person, depending on their health status, their male or female, how old they are, carb loading used to. So I'll give you what, you know, sports dietitians, like the blanket statement used to be five days, you know, like a week, five days before start carb loading, like massive amounts of carbs, five days leading up to the race. Um, you know, in the research, especially with metabolic efficiency, it's been shown that you can do a much shorter carb load and still get the same benefit, especially for people like us who are obviously not elite. We're not getting paid to, you know, run very short distances, very fast, where mere seconds count. Um, and so, you know, for us who are going out, trying to do a good job at our race, you, you don't necessarily need a five-day carb load. Now, if you want to do one, and if especially if you're a male, you could get great benefit from that. Um, but I don't think everyone has to do that, for sure. And so I do a very short, moderate carb load before a really big race. I don't do it for shorter races. I only do it for like a 50-miler or above. Um it, and because I know I don't process carbs well, you know, and so for myself, I don't do a huge carb load. I'll do it like two days before. I typically have my athletes start a carb load three days before. The research is pretty clear, especially for women, since, you know, the benefit is kind of eh. three days ahead should give you plenty of time. As long as you're tapering, right, you're not going out and doing a silly long run three days before your race, <laughs> you know, cause that's part of it. You're lowering your activity and then you're simultaneously taking in more carbs to store them. Um, and so three days is good in my book. You know, I, um, I personally do one to two days for a big race because I have special issues in carbohydrate processing. Um, you know, if I have a male athlete, I will say, Hey, you got a hundred miler coming up. Okay, yeah, carb load for five days. It's not going to hurt you. You don't have any health issues, underlying health issues. You're male. We know that you start store carbs really well. Sure, go ahead and increase those over five days. Um, but I think for most of the population, depend in this, you know, not every race. If you're running a shorter race, where you know maybe you're just doing a five k and you want to finish strong, you don't necessarily need a carb load. Um, I, I think it is more important the longer your race is. And again, it, I kind of feel like it's for hydration, like hydration. It is kind of um, everyone's a little bit different in how their body processes things. Um, and I think these blank recommendations just don't cut it anymore is right. what we're finding out. Yeah. They're just kind of very general, but at least it gives everyone a good starting point. to That's say, okay, right. We all know that male and females are obviously different. Our bodies process things different bunch of right. bullshit don't eat carbs yeah. I don't think so right it, it makes a lot of sense that you know that that would break down that way unfortunately yeah. well and you you have to remember that most of the research that kind of led to those blanket statements years ago were young male elite olympic you know athletes we're talking like in their prime 18, 20 years old, you know, they don't, they're, they're not having any underlying health issues. There's not, you know, other things to consider. And so most of the research that, you know, kind of gave rise to these standards don't fit athletes that we're talking about today, especially the athletes I work with. I work with mainly, I, I coach men and women, but mainly women over 40. And, you know, if you're going through menopause, guess what? You're not processing carbohydrates as well as you used to either. You also need more protein than a 20-year-old male if you're running the same distance he is. You know, all these things change as we age. And that's not a bad thing. It's just that, you know, most people don't know about these things because how would you? If you haven't read the research, if you hadn't taken the classes, how would you know? Um, and so I think we're just now getting to the place where that information is becoming more widely available through social media, through coaches. Um, and, and so, yeah, it's, it's ever evolving. It's a little bit complicated and it's some still trial and error for sure. 
Well, so you mentioned fats. Can you give us a couple examples uh, just real quick of just like some healthy fats then? Because if women are better at storing fats, what would be some good ideas of some healthy fats for us going? Sure. Yeah. And, you know, one thing to mention with the fats is if you're doing a really long race and you're going at a nice, slow, comfortable pace, you're burning a lot of fats. You know, you're, you're burning both carbs and fats. But when your heart rate's lower, you're kind of in that easy zone. You're burning a lot of fat. And so when it comes to what are some good fats, right? Like if you're running, I'm a fan of things like peanut butter. That's a great fat source. Yes. The PB&J. Yeah. I don't know who, if you know the Uncrustables, you know the little yep. peanut butter. That's Same my less. ultra food. Yeah. They've got <laughs> jelly. They've got the white bread for sugar, for carbs. But they also have a huge, you know, like couple tablespoons of peanut butter you know so you're getting Mm -hmm. some fat in there and so I do believe for all athletes and especially women and especially long distances when you're you know we are not sprinting at mile 50 I mean maybe some people are but this person talking is not (laughs) I'm doing the death shuffle at mile 50 you know and so you're moving so slow you are burning up a lot of fats and so it is good to have that you know, mixed into your routine. And so peanut butter, oh, you know, then it gets a little iffy because I know people love bacon. Some people can handle the bacon during ultras. Some cannot, but again, good fat source. Um, but I try to stick to things that are, are pretty easy on the stomach. Um, peanut butter being one of them. Some people love avocado. So they'll do like a wrap with avocado. Again, lots of good fats in that avocado. Um, trying to think what else might be good. Yeah, any kind of nuts and seeds, you know, if you've got like, I don't know, a granola bar or a PB&J or you can, you know, put a slice of avocado on your, you know, ham and tortilla, whatever you can do, something, you know, some potatoes that have been cooked in olive oil and salted, you know, people love to do salted potatoes. Those are all good, healthy fats. What about uh, like flax seeds, like flax seeds yeah. or bake or chia? Yeah. Yeah. Chia and flax. I love personally. The only caveat with those is you have to be used to eating them because they're also high in fiber. So like, for example, I eat cha- uh, the, the flax, not chacks, flax and chia seeds almost every day. So like throwing them in at a race, no big deal. If you're someone who doesn't normally eat a lot of fiber or that kind of fiber and you throw them in on race day. You could be, you know, you could be setting yourself up for some extra pit stops. Um, Yeah. So, again, that's kind of one of those things you might want to practice with to make sure. But, yeah, those are great healthy fats. Nuts, seeds, um, you know, any of those kinds of things are great. If you can tolerate meat that has fat in it, go ahead. I know people love the pizza and the bacon. I, you know, greasy foods for some people while ultra running, it really messes with their stomach. So again, that's kind of one of those things you might have to to try out <laughs> um, and see if it if it bothers you. Cheese, I'm not a cheese fan. People love grilled cheese and cheese quesadillas. Again, great source of fat if you're running an ultra. But again, it's a little heavier in the stomach. It's dairy. So, you know, kind of if you've got one of those really strong stomachs, okay, grab a cheese quesadilla. If you're a little woozy sometimes by the end of a long race and you're not so sure, you might want to skip the cheese, you know. Um, Those are the things that come to mind for fat. Okay. Well, then, so I know that Chris in particular was thinking about, like, supplement-wise. Oh, yeah. You know, so it's so funny. There's this whole evolving field of ketones. I don't know if anyone's – ketones gained um, a lot of press because of the ketogenic diet. So now there's a lot of new research about ketones helping with performance and, and kind of being, you know, that's when fat is broken down, it's broken down into ketones for an energy source. There are supplements, there are things, you know, people do like, even like coconut oil, you know, people put it in their coffee or whatever. And I guess that would work during a race, but they actually have supplements now for ketones. It is such a new and emerging field. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not really sold that they have great benefit for us everyday athletes. Um, but you know, that may change and there are supplements like, you know, um, people take to try to boost ketone production and, and all of that. Um, and the research is just so new and, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a mixed bag. Those supplements can be really tough on your stomach. Um, that's one of the caveats. So, you know, using that during a race, I just think would be disastrous at this point in time. 
Um, but there, there are, there are things you can, you can try out, you know, um, especially in that field, people are kind of adding those, those fat supplements that will turn into ketones and straight up ketone supplements. Um, but all of that is new. So if anyone's like, oh, I've got the answer to your prayers, just take ketones, you know, it's new. It's, it's evolving research. There's great promise in it, but a lot of the supplements you buy right now are not so great. They can be really tough on the stomach. Um, and, and give GI upset. So I think it's it's worth looking at, but being really cautious about. There was this lady, or there was this lady, she asked, this is on Facebook, and, uh-huh. and so that's your warning right there. <laughs> yeah. The, the people that followed up, like, I'm just reading this thread, like, her comment was she wanted to take caffeine, to make her times faster and i'm like well it doesn't work like that yeah but then everybody chiming in oh yeah i take this and this works great well i drink a pot of coffee and that works great too i'm like are these people like (laughs) everybody's looking for the magic pill like nobody wants to do the work anymore yeah we just want to get to the result that's right. And and that's what I try to tell people. Like, there is no magic supplement. There are supplements that can give you tiny benefits and collectively, maybe it's a good thing. But there is, it's certainly, there's no way to hack your way to being a strong, resilient runner except for putting in the work. And the nutrition side of that's kind of the same. I, I will tell you again, you know, from all the mistakes I made, I truly... Between my PCOS and my endurance running, I truly, even as a scientist, thought I could outrun bad nutrition. I I was the one who was like, oh, you know, since I run so much, I can just eat whatever I want. Well, my health deteriorated. <laughs> I mean, obviously, I have underlying issues, but that was not the case. It doesn't matter if you run 60 miles a week. Your poor nutrition is going to catch up with you. And so it really is true that you can't outrun a poor diet. You, you may have the energy and you may be fine, but under the surface, you know, when we're talking about heart health, we're talking about metabolic health, we're talking about as you age, having strong bones, feeling good, you know, all of those things. Nutrition is so critical. And it wasn't until I had to kind of see it for myself. And I knew better, you know, I'm the one that's supposed to be preaching mm. healthy diet. Yeah. And so it wasn't until I overhauled my, what I do every day. That I was like, oh, okay, I see now. Like, you can have a great balance of junk food and good quality food, but it has to be done right. You know, if you just because you run all the time doesn't mean you can live on pizza and Coke alone. That would be great. Maybe if you're 20, okay, that caveat is still there. <laughs> Maybe if you're like a 20 year old, I'm sure it's, you know, you can get away with that. But as we age, you know, everything's magnified. And, you know, those gaps in your nutrition, the way you're fueling your body, even when you're not exercising, they become important for sure. What about that? What is is the biggest mistake you think people make? Oh, the, you know, when it comes to fueling, let's, let's talk about fueling during a run. I think people just don't fuel correctly. I'm the biggest, you know, person to say, I used to not fuel correctly. I thought I was, I thought, you know, I I got it. It wasn't until I kind of did a deep dive and analyzed what I was eating when I ran. I'm like, Oh, okay. Like I really have to think about this and plan it out. If I'm going to go run 50 miles. Like I just, when I started taking it seriously, it all changed. And it's like, okay, I need to get this many grams of carbs per hour. I need to drink this much water per hour. And so it, it really, for me, um, in doing that, I realized how underfueled and underhydrated I was. And now that I coach and I, I see other runners, that is across the board. People just underfuel. They're not fueling appropriately. They're not getting the hydration in. And it makes you feel like crap. It, it hurts your performance. But more than that, it makes you feel bad. It makes you more prone to injury and bone stress fractures, right? Like, females not eating enough see this all the time they end up with bone fractures you can still do everything right and get a fracture but i think that women are overrepresented in um you know stress fractures from running because 
a lot of women tend to underfuel. They're trying to hit a goal weight. They're trying to, you know, lose fat. And there are ways you can do it safely, but it's really easy to do it in a way that is hurtful for your body. And so underfueling your runs across the board is the number one mistake I see most people make. In people's everyday nutrition, what I see amongst ultra runners is exactly what the way I used to be. I run so much that I can eat whatever I want. You know, <laughs> like mm. if I want to eat pizza and ice cream three meals a day every day, that's what I'm going to do because I just ran 20 miles. And so that mindset, you know, it really, um, it kind of sets you up for failure. Sure, treats are good. You can still eat treats. But kind of getting out of that mindset, you know, of I can eat whatever I want. Um, and it's so easy to fall into that, you know, even still. And so those are kind of the two biggest things I see with runners and especially ultra runners across the board. You're like the, the Dr. Strange of nutrition right now. <laughs> like, you're opening up all these like little portholes for me to <laughs> yeah. go down. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's just so much to it because, because it's kind of like, if you think about it, it's like the inverse problem. Like people are eating too much junk when they're not running and then not eating. Like when you're running, that's the time to eat the junk. Your body can't tell the difference between a banana and a bag of gummy worms. It's all fuel. Your insulin's turned off when you're, when you're exercising, your heart rate's up, your muscles are moving. Your body does not see, oh, this is a banana or this is, you know, a Snickers. It doesn't, it can't differentiate. It just takes the fuel and it sends it to your muscles. Ah, and so it doesn't matter. Body. <laughs> yeah, well, you so know, you're just fuel, fuel in. And then, you know, the other times, it's a big difference if you eat a banana versus maybe a bag of gummy worms, like the effect that's going to have on your blood sugar level when you're sitting on the couch, that's way different. So I'm a fan of, you know, people miss, um, I, I guess they misunderstand. And so they think I have to eat healthy while I'm running and that cannot be further from the truth. Well, that being said, what I, we had a question, what, what's the most surprising food that's worked during an ultra? Ooh, that's a good one. Let me think. Ah, okay. So I will, I will tell you what I've done lately at my last two ultras that I've never done this before, but I've done it at the last two ultras and a podium. So I think there may be something <laughs> special. <laughs> I made like these homemade treats for one of them. I made like these homemade, um, they're like rice krispies, but they have like the chocolate on top. And then I put Ooh. a little salt. I mean, there's just pure sugar. It's so good. Um, and, you know, normally if I bake those, I would, you know, I'll be like, okay, I'll have like one after dinner, but, you know, I don't want to spike my blood sugar. So, you know, I'll, I'll have one. Um, you know, I think I ate like a whole pan during my 100K. <laughs> <laughs> like I made those suckers and I just ate them all like uh, throughout my race. I had them like with my uh, crew and I would just grab one. Man, it, like it was like rocket fuel. It was just so like so much sugar. Um, and so I did something really similar for my last race, uh, a 12 hour race. I made like those, you know, those magic, uh, seven layer bars where you have uh, like the coconut. Yeah, the yep. Oh yep. yeah. Okay. So I, again, I downed an entire pan, like, <laughs> like I knew it sounds crazy, but like, they're really good. And I don't normally eat those like on a daily basis. Right. Cause they're so full of sugar and I, I have trouble with blood sugar. So I try to make these treats that I just absolutely would love to gorge on. I make them for my ultras because I need the sugar and it's not hurting my metabolism because I need it. And it's so funny because like I totally ate like an entire pan of seven layer bars. <laughs> but it obviously <laughs> worked. It obviously it worked. worked. I felt great. I loved it. And I got to enjoy it. It wasn't a gel. You know how gels, ugh, I you know, I mean, they have a place. I use them. But if I can down, like, some delicious, like, homemade treats, I am all about it. Um, and so, yeah, apparently, like, baking something and then consuming the whole pan during an ultra really works for me. <laughs> no, do, do you know that I'm going to tell my little secret? Now. Okay, what's that? Uh, like, you go in the gas station and they have, like, the, the dollar pies that are yeah. in, like, a little box. yeah. <laughs> Those are my secrets. Oh, that's so funny. I love that. Yeah. Like, you know, get the good stuff. Like, if you there's something you just absolutely love and it's pure sugar, that is your ultra food. As long as your stomach can tolerate it, it's golden, right? Like, I, I've really been experimenting these last few races with just, like, some fun treats. And, yeah, it makes it a lot more enjoyable. I'm a fan. 
Yeah, big fan over here too. I, want, <laughs> That's I, awesome. I think you you might have something, you know, marketing if you want to go out on these, <laughs> right. these treats and whatnot. Yeah, I'm telling you, it's it's working. Um, you know, and that doesn't always work out. Obviously, if you're somewhere where you you're not gonna have crew and it's a shorter race, you know, I I'm a fan of the PB and J's, the bananas. I do spring energy gels. Um, those work really great for me. For people who hate gels. And who use like applesauce and baby food. I'm telling you, you try spring um, awesome sauce. It tastes like applesauce, but it's way more calories. Um, It's great. It's so good. It goes down easy. It tastes good. Um, It's made with all real foods. Uh, It's it's my favorite. It's what I tell everybody to use. You know, I get this. People are like, I can't eat anything during a race. I'm like, go buy you some awesome sauce by Spring (laughs) Energy. They're so good. (laughs) literally awesome come in like are they in a pouch or like yeah it's just like it looks like a gel and it literally tastes like cinnamon applesauce but it's high calorie it's got like 45 grams of carbs so way more calories and carbs than your typical like little pouch of applesauce so i always try to transition my athletes to higher calorie foods because that again with the under fueling you know, most people are like, oh, I can only eat baby food. I'm like, okay, but that's not enough carbs. <laughs> um, and so I'm always looking for things that taste good, you know, that don't feel like a gel, uh, but that have the calories and the carb content that you need. You know, you got to get those calories and carbs in. Um, and that can make all the difference for ultra running and really any run, you know. Uh, it does. It, obviously, during a 5K, you might not be fueling. But if you're doing a half marathon, a marathon, you need to be fueling to do your best and to feel your best, you know. Um, and so I'm always looking for like higher carb, higher calorie alternatives for people who just can't stomach things during their runs, you know. Um, so that's that's kind of a ever never ending search, really. I like that. I will definitely check those out. That too, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, try those out. You have to let me know. Uh, They're so good. Like, seriously, I could probably eat them without even running. Like, that's how good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so sidebarring, because obviously we've said a lot about food, and and I know I'm sure that if most of your calories should come from real food sources, um, if if you're looking for a quick fix, and again, you know, you've mentioned this, quick fix is not always the way to go. But as far as like, let's say we're going to use a protein powder or we want yeah. to, like, I am getting old and yep. my joints do not like me and my knees don't have cartilage. So things that I yeah. can do to help myself as far, I mean, I'm also going to add yoga. So thank you, Brooke, yeah. for yoga. But um, like collagen, protein, things like that. Can you yes. give us the insight on like, things that we should be looking for in those and not like what's a fake filler what's what's real sure yeah and you know you you kind of hit the nail on the head the protein most people that come to me you know as we age especially women with bone health your bone matrix is 50 percent collagen okay which is a protein so it's not just calcium you've got to be getting the protein and so you know like i mentioned earlier you need twice as much protein as an athlete in their 20s, once you're over the age of 40. Um, And so protein is always where I start. And I'm a fan of protein supplements. I usually use one because quite honestly, it is really hard to get high levels of protein when, you know, you're trying to like eat right. So when it comes to protein supplements, again, it's like everything else, there's a million of them on the market. The thing I like to do, you know, and if you're vegan, you're going to be looking for a plant-based one. And if, if you're not vegan and you don't have problems processing, you know, um, things that are not plant-based, whey protein is the gold standard for being absorbed. Plant proteins are, are just fine. They're just not as absorbed as readily. So if you're, you know, vegetarian or vegan, plant sources are fine. Just know that if you have a choice... I typically would prefer someone take a whey protein if they can, um, just because you absorb it better. And it has a better amino acid profile of those amino acids you need for building muscle. But again, there, you know, a- across the board, there's some good ones. And so one of the things to look for is third-party testing. Um, you know, you want something that has been verified to not have heavy metals, I will say, again, on the vegetarian and vegan side, when, when anything is plant-based protein, it tends to accumulate heavy metals more readily than, let's say, a whey protein powder. 
Um, so that, again, if you're vegan or vegetarian, I highly encourage you to pick a very um, rigorously tested protein mix. Um, you want one that has some kind of reputable third-party testing. There's some on Amazon. You can go to, you know, Target carries a lot. Walmart carries a lot. There's lots to choose from. Look for testing. You want to look for a good amino acid profile. One of those, like the branch chain amino acids, one of them being leucine. Leucine is really good at stimulating muscle growth. So you want to make sure, you know, that you've, you've got one that's it that has some branch chain amino acids. Whey has a lot of those. Plant-based may or may not. So there's just little things to look for. Good qualities, number one. You want to get a good amino acid profile. Collagen is also another supplement I use every day. I don't use many supplements, but protein and collagen are the ones I use daily. Um, I agree. By the time you're in your late 30s, you've stopped producing collagen. Not completely, but it's way, way slowed down. And we know collagen makes up 50% of your bones. It makes up your joints. It, it does all of that, your skin, your hair, your nails. And we just slowly stop producing it. Um, and so I love collagen supplements. And again, it's the same thing as the protein supplement. You want to just make sure it's got some third-party testing. There's lots of brands out there. Um, you just want a reputable brand who has the, the proof of testing for heavy metals and, and things. Um, and so I'm a fan of both of those. Collagen cannot be thought of as a complete protein because it's missing branch chain amino acids like leucine. So while collagen supplementation is great, I encourage it, especially as we age, just know that it's it's not um, great for muscle growth, let's say. Uh, so, so I really encourage people to use both a protein supplement if they need it, as well as a collagen supplement. I feel like they, they both make a big difference in my life. Um, but yeah, I could probably spend 10 hours talking about protein. <laughs> but I will tell you, if you're looking to like, okay, I want to get my nutrition on track. I want strong, healthy bones. I want to feel good and, you know, start with protein. Make sure you're hitting protein amounts that are appropriate for your age and activity level. Throw in some collagen, you know, I put mine in my coffee in the morning. Um, and I, I think those two things can go a long way for, for getting you feeling better and kind of setting you up on your health journey for, you know, creating a resilient body. That's awesome to know. And so really, I mean, realistically, even if you're in your 20s, you could probably benefit from some level of collagen, I'm guessing. like Yeah, totally. I, I think, you know, they it's, it's kind of, I read something today even that for some people, even in their late 20s, collagen production slowing down. So totally, like if, you know, even for your skin, elasticity, you know, especially a lot of women are worried about aging and all of that. One of the best things you can do is make sure you, you take some collagen Take it with vitamin C. Vitamin C is necessary for, for um, kind of processing collagen in your body. So, again, it's, it's just little things you can do. should be getting lots of vitamin C anyways. It's great for you. But especially if you're taking collagen, if you really want to emphasize, you know, and use it uh, to your advantage. So, you think about pairing it with, you know, something that has some vitamin C in it. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, if I could go back to my 20 and 30 year old self, I would definitely be like, look, <laughs> you've got to start thinking about your nutrition because you may not feel it now, but when you hit 40, the wheels are going to fall off because they did for me. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, you know, because I never, I never really thought about my nutrition that much, you know, I just did whatever. Um, but it really, again, everything's amplified with age. And so the sooner you can start in your 20s and your 30s, if you're listening, look at your protein levels now. They're going to increase with age, your needs. Um, but it, it never hurts to get started on the right track, for sure. Never, ever too early. Nope, that's right. Well, that's I, I, I feel like through this health and wellness three-part series that we're doing I feel like my mind's just going to keep exploding and expanding with all of this knowledge and it's just I feel like I'm almost like a junior scientist now <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> but it's I think it's great because we are ever evolving and we are ever aging and like you just said anything that we can do to help our bodies to supplement our bodies to help I don't want to say reverse things before we need to reverse them but to help stop or slow things down as much as we can is obviously the most ideal thing that we could do. So 
I think that that's huge. Chris, did you have any other questions besides the big question? I know there's always the big question. <laughs> uh, well, actually, it's a different big question this week. Oh. But uh, let me see. Um, not a question, but I love your hair. I think <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> Anybody who hasn't, you got to follow Lauren. It's at Lauren <laughs> underscore runs wild and her hair is awesome i do thank love you it. I thank my you husband if i could dread my hair the other day <laughs> <laughs> oh i love it i'm telling you i wasn't sure when i first went for it i was like i don't know i love it it's so easy yeah it's perfect <laughs> so yeah the big question would be okay you I, i've followed you for a while now um like val said you you're not only a runner you climb mountains you you do Pretty much, you do it all. You're a mom. You're a scientist. It's everything. Right. How about the Barkley? Oh, Ooh. man. Okay, so I have to tell y'all, I'm in Tennessee, right? And I yeah. am close, actually, to Frozen Head, where the Barkley happens, right? So I actually train there. I love, when I have, like, a big mountain race coming up, like when I was doing Bigfoot 200, I did all my training out at Frozen Head State Park, which is where the infamous Barkley happens. But, yeah, I don't I don't think I'll ever be that level. And I, I will be honest, I would love to attempt, like, the fun run, you know, like, just do yeah. <laughs> The three loops, the three loops. Yeah, just, just for the experience. I mean, I probably wouldn't even make it. Um, but you I could love- do the tribute. Yeah, you know, I would, I telling you, I love running out there. I love that place. And I, I'm very familiar with it because I've spent so much time at it. Having said that, I, I don't anticipate that I would ever be accepted in. And if I did, I mean, I would just hope for one loop, <laughs> you know, like I would be happy if I could like not get lost in complete one loop. I would totally try. Uh, but yeah, that. I don't know. Maybe someday I would get the chance, but yeah, I, I don't know. It would just be to see like, okay, can we do one loop without like getting really lost <laughs> and dying on this mountain? Yeah. I was there, uh, no, two years ago I was there. I oh was yeah. Only like driving through and I like altered my, my course just <laughs> enough to get there. And I had like yeah. a couple hours there. Oh yeah. Yeah. Something about it, like, I don't know if it's because of where everything happens, but, like, it's it's a very, like, uh, magical place. It like, is. You can it, feel I tell you, it. I it's it. a different energy in that place whenever you're on those trails. Well, I mean, oh, I think it is. a place that starts with the, the lighting of a cigarette, that's got to, there's something right. magical about that. That's right. Yeah, and you know what's so funny is I've lived in Tennessee my whole life. And I never even knew about Frozen Head State Park until the Barkley Marathon documentary came out. This was years ago, and I was just getting into, you know, ultra running when that first one came out. And, yeah, it was so funny because I'm like, oh, that's here, like, close to me. <laughs> like, I can't believe this. And so I, I will never forget the first time I went there and saw the yellow gate. I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, <laughs> it was such a big deal. Yeah, so funny. I love that place, though. But, yeah, maybe someday. Maybe. <laughs> never say never. That's right. That's right. Well, we can't thank you enough for joining us, for all of the information that you have shared, for just enlightening us in all things nutrition and fueling ourselves while racing, fueling ourselves before we go into racing so that we can not just perform our best, but feel our best. It's it's crazy how so many little things add up into this one day of racing or two days, depending on, you know, what kind of all of these little things fit together like such a perfect puzzle. And if you're not doing one right, the whole thing, it doesn't fit. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we appreciate your time again. And I, I'd love to to have you back again sometime because I feel like there's still so much more to unbox down the road and just hearing about your races themselves. So uh, hopefully, you know, we can we can talk to you again after some time. But we appreciate your time and we look forward to talking to everybody again next week as we continue on our health and wellness series. But everybody have a great week. Thank you so much. Thank awesome. You. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.